Obviously, we could just go on and talk about something else, but I think that would be a little bit uh, ridiculous. Uh, God is obviously saying something about the way things appear and the way they actually are, right? And as I was journaling this morning, what was coming is sometimes the ocean is very, very rough, huge waves banging and smashing, and then sometimes it's just crystal clear. It's just still. I live by the ocean. I see it all the time. I love it because the ocean has a personality. But God kind of said to me, he said, Keith, it doesn't matter if the ocean is roaring or if it's still, the life that is in it is still there. The condition of the ocean does not change the life that is in the ocean. And I said, well, that's interesting. Uh, And then God says what he says today. Um, And I think, obviously, he's speaking to somebody. He's speaking to us. Obviously, somebody here is going through a situation in their life where they're seeing life and they're seeing it in a way that is causing them to doubt the life that is in them in Christ Jesus. The life that is in us despite what may be going on around us. I don't think, I'm, honestly, I don't want to talk about this crazy flu thing. But obviously we have to. And obviously it might have something to do with what God is saying because the whole world right now is going out of its mind, running around stocking up on toilet paper as if that's the first thing we need uh, if anything bad is going to happen. I mean, there's, there's something that tells you about the priorities of our society right there. But the fact is we do not react according to the raging of the sea. We react according to the power that is in the sea. Water is always the picture of the spirit of Christ. If you have come to a place in your life where you have asked Jesus to come into your life or you've laid your head down and you've said, I want you, God, to be the Lord of my life. I want to follow you. I don't know what it all means, but I just want to follow you. I want God in my life. That is... At that point, God will do that. He will actually come and he will inhabit your life and he will give you the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit will start speaking to you about the way you should react, about the way that you should live and about the way we should perceive things. And we should be perceiving it differently than the world does. But again, God is saying today that though it is tumultuous, God is not going to abandon us. We do not need to panic. Do you know how many people, well, not a lot, but I've spoken to people, Christians, who are fearful of this flu. Now, I want to, listen, if we truly say that we believe in the sovereignty of God and we believe that God watches over our life. Now, if we want to go out and do something stupid, then that's up to us. And you will bear the consequences of that. If you want to sit down and drink a quart of rye, you will bear the consequences of that. 
God's not going to all of a sudden make you sober and everything great. No, you're going to go do something stupid. You're going to say something stupid. That's not what I'm talking about. What I'm saying is that as we live our life and we are walking in fear, we are not walking in faith. Faith is not the absence of fear. It is walking in spite of fear. It is doing what you know you should do regardless of what it may cost us. People are saying, I heard someone say the other day that they don't want to go in the mission field because this certain mission field because it's dangerous. Yes, that's right. There are things in life that are dangerous. But God doesn't say that we should not do things just because it's dangerous. The Apostle Paul, when they came and told him prophetically, they said, listen, bro, if you go into Jerusalem, here's what's going to happen to you. They're going to wrap you up and they're going to arrest you and you're going to have a rough time of it. You're going to go to jail. And he said, well, tell me something I don't know. Tell me something I don't know. You and I as Christians are called to go into the tough stuff. We are called to face the fears. We are called to do what we don't want to do. We're called, someone said the other day, actually it was someone very high up in the PAOC and we were talking, and uh, he's saying, we were talking about the apostolic call on his life and that he needs to step out and that he needs to go and be more of a blah, blah, blah. We were talking. He said, well, it's not in my nature to be that way. Exactly. It is not in your nature or my nature to act like Jesus. Trust me. I've been around you long enough. You've been around me long enough. We know it is not in our nature to act like Jesus. That takes a willful determination. And when I see people saying they can't go on a trip that we feel is, let's say, the mission trip to Cuba, let's say, right? Let's just say. And say, no, we can't go because you don't want to go through an airport and you might get the virus. Well, yeah. Yeah, you might. You might get the virus. Yeah. You might get the virus and you might even die. What does that mean? Are we afraid of death? Death is the lottery, man. Death was go home. Trust me, there's nobody who's died who's sitting up there going, man, I wish I was down there working and shoveling that church parking lot out in the snow. I don't think there's many people doing that. There are people who will not and never trade glory. You hear about the near-death experiences. Everyone's saying, I don't want to go back there. God says, no, it's not your time yet. And you know what? God controls your time, not a virus. Not a politician, not a regime, nothing. What control, not the devil. The only thing that controls our destiny is our agreement or disagreement with God. And when God tells us to do something and we do the opposite, we might get in some trouble. We might get in some trouble. There are some people who have gone home early because they have not done what God was telling them to do. In the New Testament, Paul is talking about the supper. I've said this a bazillion times. 
He's talking about the supper that they used to have in the early, early church. Gathering was done around a meal, and there was hundreds of them. And the Greeks would eat, and then the other ones wouldn't get anything, and then the Greeks wouldn't get anything, and then the poor were totally being forgotten. The rich were eating everything they wanted. So there was a big problem. And Paul said, because you are not respecting each other, you are not walking in love, you are not listening to the Spirit of Christ, you're listening to your own carnal spirit, he said, guess what? Some of you are sick, and some of you have actually died because of it. Now that is sobering, and which calls us to make sure that we are learning how to hear God. Because the crashing waves... What's interesting about crashing waves? They're very loud. The world is very loud right now. I won't read anything about the coronavirus. I won't listen to anything about the coronavirus. I am not entering into their hysteria. My God is with me, and I will carry on. Now, if there's something that you should do, if the communist hordes are coming up Main Street and are going to take over, then I think we should probably, you know, get ready. Ask God, what should we do? Should we run? Because Paul ran sometimes. Paul got out of Dodge. They put him in a basket and let him down through the wall. Paul knew when to get out of Dodge. But he also knew when to run into the arena when the whole of Ephesus was in an uproar. And he was going to run into it. And they said, no, no, listen, you get out because this place has gone crazy. But in in those cases, it's important to listen and to hear. But for the most part, we should not, this is what I believe God is saying, we are not a people of fear. We have not been given a spirit of fear, Scripture says, but sound mind. We have, this is what the Holy Spirit, we received an awful lot when the Holy Spirit came into our lives. It takes, we've received so much that it will take all of our life and all eternity to show us the completion of it. But this much we know, we have not been given a spirit of fear. So fear should never be a motivator. It should never be something that makes you decide whether or not you're going to do something. Unless you're standing on the precipice of a cliff, looking down 600 feet, being fearful of falling, that's good fear. That's good fear. But most of the fear that grabs us is fear that comes from a negative place, and it comes from the enemy, and it comes from the fear that the world works on. The world is motivated by fear, fear of getting old. Look at what is being done because of the fear of getting old. The surgeries and the makeup and the dyes, and the diets, and the thing, trying to look 20. If God wanted us to look 20 at 60, we'd look 20. It's just not going to happen. The fear of what's coming on the world, that kind of fear is not what we should be motivated by. So we've been given what? Power. Power for what? Power to stand against it. Power to stand and say, I am not going to be jerked around by this. I am not going to be convinced by this. 
I'm not going to be told I'm old and ugly. I'm not going to be told I'm weak and stupid. I'm not going to be told I'm going to get a disease and die. I'm not going to be told I don't have enough money. I'm not going to be told I'm going to be poor and live in a destitute state when I'm old. I'm not buying this. You have the power to stand against it. And if you think that's frivolous, look at what's happening in the world. This is the difference between having the Holy Spirit and not having the Holy Spirit. The ridiculous lengths that the world goes to to try to protect itself from fears that it perceives. We are not supposed to do that. There are people that if, it, if there's a little bit of snow, they won't drive. If there's, and I understand that. There, I understand. I understand that sometimes you have to use caution. I'm not saying don't use caution. But there's a point where we get paranoid. And we are scared of everything. We're scared of looking stupid. We're scared of this. We're scared of that. We're scared of what people will think of us. All this stuff, if we start reacting to those voices, you will live a little life about as big as this chair. That's the life you'll live. You'll never take a chance. You'll never take a risk. You'll never step out of your box. You'll never go talk to anybody. You'll never do anything. And you'll just stay where it's safe and watch Netflix and and hope that Jesus comes back soon. That's what will happen. Power, love. Love to be the motivator. To be a motivator to do what it is God wants us to do. It's one thing to face the fear. Then you've got to do something once you face it. And why do you do that? This is something that God has been speaking to us in the leadership in this church. And lo and behold, I was with leadership in Truro this week with some pastors. And guess what comes up? Motivation. What is the motivation behind what you're doing? It's all over the church right now. And I think it is time because the church is going through a new reformation. It really is. Won't get into it all, but I'm telling you, don't think revival. Don't think renewal. Think reformation, where the whole perspective on what you do and why you do it and how you do it is changing. And it is changing. But the power and then the love. And this is something that we need to get a hold of. Because I don't know if it's happened to you, but it's happening to a lot of people where we'll be praying for something and all of a sudden God has dropped into our heart and into our mind. Why are you praying that? Why do you want that? Lord, I'd love to see blah, blah, whatever it is. Why? I'd love to see this person saved and everything. Why? Why? And if it doesn't come down to a heartfelt... Now, I understand many of us have very damaged hearts. We grew up in brutal situations, many of us. And our ability to be empathetic, our ability to be compassionate, our ability to enter into the sufferings of other people in an emotional way can be very curtailed because we're broken. We're broken. So it makes it very hard to do that. But that's where we have to, some people come by it very naturally. Bill and I were talking about someone who's an evangelist, and every time he talks about people coming to Christ, he starts to cry. I was with a young guy recently, a friend of mine, who's a worship leader, and every time he talked about someone being touched by Jesus, he'd start to cry. Some people are very healthy. Thank God, thank God, thank God. But many of us have to go, Father, give me that love, because that is the motivation that God does everything. The reason God wants people in this church is not so that we can have a full church. That's not it. It's got nothing to do with it. He could care less whether or not 
this church is full for that reason. But when you start having a motivation in your heart to speak to somebody because you genuinely care about their eternal soul and the state of their life as they live it, if you truly believe that, and if you're willing to allow God to show you that maybe that isn't your motivation, maybe you're just praying it at a route. Well, that's what we pray for, isn't it? We pray for a full church. We pray for people to come to Jesus. Come to Jesus, everybody. And God's saying, why are you, why are you praying that? Why are you in church anyway? Are you, why are you here? This is, I'm getting ready. God's going to ask the question. He is sifting the church. I'm telling you, he's sifting the church in the West. And he is going to lay bare in front of us the incomplete parts of ourselves. Not so that we can be condemned, but so that we can be perfected, sanctified for what? A better resurrection. This may mean nothing to anybody, but in the scripture it is full of the fact, especially in the New Testament, that there are rewards. You may not care, like one guy said to me, I don't care as long as I get in. I just want to get in. I don't care if I get a reward. I don't care where I'm seated. I don't care anything. I just want to get in. That's okay. I can understand that. I want to get on the bus too. But the fact is, God seems to think it's quite important. And Paul thought it was quite important and actually talked about it so that we would have a, we suffer so that we could have a better resurrection. What you suffer here is actually the incremental increase of the glory you receive there. Oh, I'm not in it for the glory. Trust me. You're in it for the glory. Because when you get in the glory, and if you have not been in the glory, I pray that somehow you will have a little touch of the glory, you will want more of that. You will want much more of that. So God is doing in our lives by putting us in situations of struggle, situations of persecution, situations of sacrifice, situation where it takes your flesh and goes, and you agree with God. He is giving you a better resurrection. And Paul was very quick to remind himself. You think Paul was just in, like, in prison saying, well, I'm going to write these letters. I better be happy. No. He was saying that there is a better resurrection, and darn it all, I'm going to get it. I am going to get it. In the meantime, the outflow of that was the letters that he wrote and the encouragements that he wrote. But as God starts to pinpoint our motivations, trust me, I've had to go through it this year, where he said, why are you praying for that person? And do you love that person? All of a sudden, I'd search my heart, and I'd go, you know what? I really don't have any real sense of that. I just know I should pray for them. And there's something in that that's good, like willful obedience. Don't undermine that. But God wants to take us past willful obedience, He wants to take us so that we share his heart and his heart. It says the Bible says we have the heart of Christ. Do you know where the heart of Christ is? It's buried underneath yours. That's where it is. And we have to get ours out of the way. How does God do that? He shows it to us. He says, here, look at this. You really don't care here. Don't get all freaked out. Don't be like, don't run off screaming into the abyss. Just understand, we're just going to get a little bit of that heart out of the way so my heart can come through. The only way he can do it is by showing you that. We hate it because we're so insecure by our nature that we can't stand being shown that we have a brokenness. We get defensive. 
we get angry, and some people will leave the church. I've seen it happen. You've seen it happen. One of the scariest things that can ever happen to a Christian is conviction. That's why the church is talking about glory all the time, talking about the better life, talking about money, talking about that's why. Because that's what we want to hear. You want to hear it? I want to hear it. I love to hear it. I'd love God to come down and say, I'm going to give you a million dollars. You're going to lay in the beach the rest of your life. There's something in me that would love that. Trust me. But it wouldn't satisfy me in the end. You know it and I know it. So you want more. So God is going to, and he's actually said he's given us power and love. It is there. You may not have it right now, but trust me, if you ask for it, he'll give it to you. He'll show you how to do it. I've recently, Bill and I have started going to the uh, food bank, and we go up and we take people through and allow them to have their three bars and two apples and one bag of potatoes, and it's just, but thank God for it, because the people coming from other countries, they don't have food banks. And the idea that you can come to this country and they give you food for free, this is crazy to them, and and they appreciate it. But God, I was thinking about the other day, and this woman, she was a doctor in Syria. She's here now, in Iran, I mean. She's here without her family. She can't be a doctor here because you have to run through 7,000 hoops in order to, to become a doctor again. They make it as absolutely difficult for them as possible. And here she is, a woman who had a wonderful life in Iran, a family, a job, high standard of living. She's at a food bank in Fairview. She's 40 years old. What do you think that feels like? And all of a sudden, as I was praying, I was down here and I was praying, and all of a sudden my heart started to feel for her. And then the other people I'm meeting, my heart is starting to feel for them. It's pretty hard to look at people and feel for them. You've got to go see their eyeballs and hear their voice. That's when you start feeling something and you start getting into their relationship. Power, love, and a sound mind. This is the big one, and that's what God's talking about today, the sound mind. The world's running around with his head cut off, worried about toilet paper, like we said. I just can't say that enough. I just can't. I, I just can't. That, that's the one thing at Costco that's sold out. I just, I'm trying to find the theological, psychological thing that that means. It's saying something. I, I don't know what it is. But uh, it's just, wow, that's, that's something. Um, it's not flashlights. It's not, uh, you know, bread or some or crackers. Or it's toilet paper. But the, um, the fact is God is saying he has given you sound mind. And sound mind comes from trust. That's the only place we are going to get sound mind. The only way a Christian is going to have sound mind is if they pick up that book called the Bible, they read it on a regular basis. If you think of how much news you hear compared to how much Bible you read, that might show you something. That might give you a little bit of an indication of an imbalance. But when we pick up, read that Bible with the Holy Spirit, you all know, I know, we read the Bible before we knew Jesus, before you had the Holy Spirit. It was wah, 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 wah. It made no sense. 
I remember reading it as a teenager when my mother came to her faith when I was 17. I think I picked up a Bible once and looked at it. It made no sense to me whatsoever. Then all of a sudden, I come to a point of asking God to come into my life. And that first Bible I had, I looked at it recently, and all these things underlined in it, underlined, as the Holy Spirit was bringing it to life. And it was allowing me to understand this means something. Oh, my heavens, I get this. I see what it's saying. That's why Christianity, faith, is foolishness to the world. And you can't blame them. They don't know. How can they? They don't have the Holy Spirit. Once the Holy Spirit comes, then all of a sudden the eyes are opened and we're able to behold Christ. And this sound mind comes when we take that word of God and believe it and say, Father, I am trusting that this is my destiny. This is what's going to happen. This is what I can depend on. This is what I can be assured of. And not listening to prime ministers, to presidents, to economists, to doctors. Sometimes you have to listen to a doctor, especially if you have a broken leg. They seem to know how to fix those kinds of things. But when it comes to prognosticating about you and the future of your health, sometimes I've seen doctors be grotesquely wrong. Grotesquely wrong. And what happens when you go into a doctor's office and you hear one of their prognostications about uh, your condition? Fear. And I had a doctor once. They did an extra. I don't know what it was for. and I don't know what. I, and I'm sitting with her. It was a walk-in clinic. She says, she sees the uh, x-ray and she says, any cancer in your family? I say, yeah, my, my mother died of cancer. Well, we've got spots on the x-ray. I think we may have an issue here. And I literally started laughing. I went, oh, my heavens. I said, are you telling me I have cancer? She said, well, we have to take a look. I said, I'm telling you right now, I can look you in the face. I do not have cancer. And sure enough, you go back and you get it and blah, blah. There's nothing there and it was a shadow. Or I don't know how all these shadows get on x-rays, but they get on it somehow. It's like you have a, a shrimp in there or something from dinner last night, and all of a sudden it, you've got cancer, right? And so, I mean, really, take doctors for what they're worth, but take God for who he is. And God will control it. And even if the doctor's right, and we've seen them be right, and say, you've got a tumor in your head, and we only got half of it out... And we're not going to be able to get the rest of it, and it's going to kill you. And then what happens is Walter's sister found out. Sister, right? All of a sudden, goes to, they do the test. It's gone. Disappears. Gone. Friend of mine, Cass, some of you know her. Doctor said, and it was true, she had an inoperable brain aneurysm. It was inoperable. She was having severe seizures. She was on seizure medication. The doctor said she would have maybe eight months to live. Roseanne prayed for her, as you and somebody else prayed for her, I don't know when it was, but three weeks later, she goes to the doctor to get the checkup to see how it's progressing, you know, and what to do with the medication, and the doctor comes running down the thing with the thing saying, it's gone, it's absolutely gone. Now, Cass has got other issues, (laughs) that's between Roseanne and I, but uh, (laughs) don't tell her I said that, but... uh, 
But it was gone, and the doctor says, I have no idea. Well, we know how it is. We know exactly what it is. And Cass phones me up finally and tells me. And she, I said, why didn't you tell me sooner? She said, I didn't want to jinx it. <laughs> it's just like, it's classic, right? Young Christian, I don't know. And so onward she goes. So sometimes doctors can be right, but God's the one who controls the whole situation. He controls the whole situation. Those prophets were right when they said to Paul, oh, by the way, buddy, when you go to Jerusalem, they're going to wrap you up and you're going to be done. He said, whatever. But when he got in there, it turned into the greatest testimony that he's ever had. And he went all the way and spoke in front of Caesar. So you have this situation where through difficulties, God might be lining you up for something you never imagined. You never imagined. So God is saying to us today, That no matter how the ocean goes, and trust me, I will say this prophetically to you, in the full measure of a prophetic, that it's going to get worse. We're not going back to the happy days. We're not going back to the 50s when there was tons of everything and people could get out of school and have a full-time job and make, you know, uh, have a pension. Those, it's gone. You need to read the book. We need, at times like this, we need to know the book because the book is talking about all this. The Bible is talking about all this stuff. It's telling us how to react to it. We, of all people, should not be surprised that the very fabric of our society is falling apart. We should not be surprised about that. It was prophesied for 2,000 years. We said everyone loves to think that Jesus is coming soon, but they don't like the circumstance in which that's going to happen. And we love as Pentecostals and as charismatic people and full gospel people to stand up and say, Jesus is coming soon, Jesus is coming soon. Yeah, well, okay, here's what it's going to look like, and they're the first ones trying to get toilet paper. (laughs) So we need to know the book. And what it says about the mentality we should have as the time gets closer. And the thing, and I'll end with this, the thing it says that we should be prepared to do is suffer. The early church had two powerful truths in it. It was an absolute evangelism machine. Thousands would come. Houses would shake. People would be healed. People delivered. The early church was an absolute monster of the power of the Holy Spirit. The other thing it had, the ability to endure struggle, trial, and tribulation. Death, even. Now, you said it. I've said it. It's been our theology. We're all trying to get back to the early church power, right? We all want that early church power. Oh, I wish it was like the early church. Do we really? No, you're right. We don't. We want the power, but we don't want the cost. And we have to walk out this door today, and we have to go out into a world that is very unsure. A lot of the things that you and I grew up with, because you and I won the lottery when it came to living good lives. We had stable economies, stable governments. Nobody was telling us to get out of our house and march through the desert in minus 20 degree temperatures to end up in, you know, Turkey with people throwing uh, grenades at us and gas and stuff. Like, we've never lived that. We don't know what that is. We've lived a dream. We are, no wonder Disneyland is here, because we're living it. We have this incredible gift 
in the last 100 years in the West. But it's starting to fray at the edges. And we have to be prepared to experience that because it rains on the just and the unjust. There is no special protection for the church. If you read all of Scripture, the church went through the struggles. Look at Paul's life. Look at what the prophets suffered. Look at what those early Christians who Jesus was telling them about the fall of Jerusalem. He said, just pray it doesn't happen in the winter for pregnant women. They didn't see any great escape for them. They had to go through it. There was no great escape. No one was coming and snatching them away in the early church. They were dying. They were being set on fire. They were being eaten by wild animals. And if that isn't tribulation, I don't know what is. But there is a time coming on the earth that the Bible says is going to be even worse than all that. And frankly, I hope I die before it happens. But if we're here, we have power love, and a sound mind, right? No matter what the waves are doing, no matter what the ocean is doing, the power of God is still there. Father, we thank you for what you're saying to us today. We thank you that, Father, greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. Man, demon, spirit, whatever. Greater is he that is in us than any of that. And I pray today for us all, Father, that we would know that your angels walk with us, that, Father, as we walk in your word, your strength will be in us, your love and your sound mind will be in us, Father God. And, Lord, we thank you. And we pray this finally. Father, let us go out of this place and be able to share Jesus with somebody who needs to hear it this week. Father, what you have told us today is what the whole world needs. Father, help us to go out of here today with enough love in our heart that we will actually speak to someone, cross over our fear of intimidation, speak a word of life to them, and Father God, allow them to know that there is a hope in a world that's gone hopeless. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen, amen. God is good. God is good. So much for what I was going to talk about. It's funny about how things leave you, isn't it? Um, I don't know if anyone here was a drunk, but I was a drunk. Well, I wasn't a drunk, but I was, I like drinking. Um, I don't know if that makes you a drunk, but I like drinking. And uh, I was with the band and I drank every day because I had the luxury to do that. And uh, for a year, I got, came to my faith. It was about six to eight months. I still would go and get drunk on Saturday night and go to church on Sunday. And the pastor there had the common sense and goodwill and heart of God enough to not say anything. He knew. And he would just, he knew God was working, right? And finally, one day, I'm sitting in the backyard, and I have a glass of Jack Daniels, and it's sunny. I'm laying there. Life is grand. It's funny how booze can make everything so great. Plus being 20. <laughs> 20 helps too. Um, when you're doing that at 80, it's not so pretty. Life has kind of really not worked out so well if you're laying with a glass of booze. and the sun. But I looked at it and I went, hmm, 
I don't want this anymore. I'll never forget it. It wasn't because some pastor was preaching at me or I heard some message. I just looked at it and I said, I don't want this anymore. And I liked booze. I could smell booze from 500 paces. I could smell rye. What? What? And gone. Never had a touch of alcohol for 18 years. And the odd time, you know, have some wine or something for dinner. And if there's people who have convictions against that, don't do it. If you are a drunk and an alcoholic, don't get smart and think you're going to pick up a glass of wine and you're just going to beat it all because you'll end up right back on your rear end drunk. Some people have a predisposition to alcoholism. It's no joke. It's a reality. Don't play around with it. Um, It's smarter than we are. It knows how to trick us. And I've seen it happen to Christians. I've seen them where they all of a sudden start drinking again because they got liberty in Jesus. And the next thing you know, they're at a bar drunk throwing up on the, on the sidewalk. So I'm not saying any liberal, liberalness about booze. And in the early church, there was, of course, they drank wine, but Timothy didn't. And Paul actually told him, said, listen, you've got some problems with your stomach because the water was so bad back then. He said, take a little, a little wine for your many ailments. So there is some balance to be had there. But it is, Janet, that's true. God changes us, right? We just don't want to do that stuff anymore. So beautiful, so wonderful. Thank you, Jesus. And the world's running around trying to find out how to stop addictions and how to stop all these things. You will not stop it without the spirit being activated. You will not stop it. I won't say will not because some people do it, so I can't be pompous. But it takes a spiritual thing to really kill that thing. But uh, let's take up an offering or we'll keep on going here. You know how it works. There's a basket at the back, one here at the front. You can come forward and you can play that Corwin.